Well, earlier in the week, I asked uh, Madison if there's anything that she has been reading uh, that she's been enjoying, and she recommended the book that I'd heard of called Anxious for Nothing by Max Lucado. Uh, he's an he's an author that I have definitely heard of. He created a children's program like several years ago, many years ago, called Hermie. Did you watch Hermie growing up? Is it? Wait, tell me. Hermie is a caterpillar. It was a child. It was a children's. A children's it was like book? Veggie Tales, but wait, did it start? I think off it as was a, a TV show. It might have been a book. I don't remember. I'm looking it up right now. I just remember it was by Max Lucado. Or he was involved in it somehow. I looked it up and it um, looks very familiar. I'm sure at some okay. point in my life I had watched it or seen yeah. it. Well, he's a very well-known and I think well-loved Christian author. I've definitely, I, I was definitely familiar with him um, before reading the book. And I really loved it. This is this was a really great book. Um, you said that you were on your second read of it, right? I started, yeah, rereading it. Um, Joey finished the book in two days. I'm I was rereading it and I haven't even finished it my second time around. So I was, I was committed. We, yeah. we only thought of it like a week ago. I know he finished um, it. Like we said it on a Friday, you were done by Sunday or something like yeah. that. I was shocked. It was a weekend. Um, this book is kind of centered around the verse Philippians four, six through seven, uh, which says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, uh, by prayer and petition, uh, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And one of the most interesting things to me, uh, that was in this book was that this is the most highlighted Bible verse in the Bible on like Kindle apps, which I think is really interesting. I love any kind of like uh, metric or stat that we can use to kind of uh, see what people are drawn to about the Bible. Um, and it kind of makes sense. I would have assumed that John three sixteen, I don't know, or, or yeah. um, Jeremiah 29, 11 would be the yeah. most popular verse. But I think uh, it honestly just kind of speaks to what, it speaks to where we're at um, in the world right now, in this particular time and place, mm-hmm. um, especially in America. I think I think there are people who are feeling very anxious, more so than any other um, generation or, or time or, or place before us. Yeah. Um, why do you think that is that that America right now that that we have so many so much to be anxious about? I think about this a lot because. Um, you know, even as you're scrolling through Instagram, a lot of the memes are about um, people talking about how anxious they are and be like, well, I'm just anxious. I'm an anxious and depressed blob. I guess it's just, I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? No, I feel, yeah, totally. There's a lot of humor now centered around this idea of um, our generation being really anxious. And so I think about it a lot. And I think that um, it has a lot to do with the fact that we are, constantly met with new expectations mm-hmm. um and we kind of put it upon ourselves i would say when you're scrolling through instagram you see this is what my life should look like this is what um, my career should look like this is how much money i should be making um this is what i physically should look like there's a lot of expectation that's placed right at our doorstep or like right right in front of our faces all the time. Um, And it gets really overwhelming. But I think we're obsessed with stimulus. I think we're obsessed with this idea that I can never be bored. I can never, I can't sit through a meal um, Mm -hmm. without having the TV on, without having something to entertain me. I can't go five seconds without something um, flashing in front of my eyes. Um, It's really difficult because you reach this place where it's almost like when everything is quiet, you're forced to um, face uncomfortable thoughts. You're forced to face things that you don't want to think about. And so we're 
we're addicted to distraction and that just makes us all the more anxious because every time we reach a dead end, every time we, um, you know, finish watching a YouTube video or we finish watching a a show or a movie or listening to a song, whatever it is that's distracting you. Um, and you get to the end and you realize there is an end to that rope and, um, your brain is now going to be quiet. It, sparks more anxiety because it's like dang now I have to face whatever's in my brain let me find something else and it's kind of this this um in my eyes this search for something to fulfill us this search for something to distract us um and paired with our refusal to face uncomfortable thoughts face the things um that scare us um our actual anxieties our fears um our refusal to look those things in the face and and process them um, it just builds our anxiety because it, it makes us think I can never handle this. I'll never be able to handle this. Um, so you're just kind of stuck in this constant loop of, I have to distract myself. I can't face this thing. I have to distract myself. I can't face this thing. Yeah. I kind of realized a couple months ago that I literally in my life never had silence. Mm-hmm. And I, I do mean that literally, like I, like throughout my day, I would wake up, I would have some kind of, you know, podcast on. Um, on my way to work, I would have music or a podcast on or an audiobook. Um, while I was working, I had different playlists for like the kind of work that I was doing. Like if I was doing something creative, I listened to certain kind of music. So music literally all day long, or I'd be talking to somebody. If I went on a walk, I would be listening to something. As I went to bed, I would turn on a podcast. Um, I think it yeah. was when I was, I actually was going on a walk and I just kind of felt this like prompting to not take my phone with me. Um, and I was like, wow, this is the first time that I have been in silence in a really long time. And it, it, as I started to think through my days and just how much I have noise and stimulus, um, I, I realized that I guess I am addicted to noise. I'm addicted to, um, yeah. Distraction. Distraction. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of us feel that, I mean, you know, seeing people stand in line at Starbucks and every single person's on their phone. Like I think it's weird to see someone like you kind of feel weird if you put your phone away and just stand somewhere or just yeah. sit somewhere. It it's like, like looks, it's uncomfortable. You feel weird. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I definitely think uh, uh, to use the phrase kids these days, um, I think that kids these days have changed a lot. I, th- I did kids ministry for about seven years. And even in that time, I noticed a shift in how well kids were able to focus and how well I was able to keep their attention Um I, I, I swear, you know, in 2012 or 2013, I, I was able to, you know, I had more eye contact from kids, um, in an audience than I did, you know, seven or eight years later. Yeah. Um, I think a lot has changed and I think a lot of it does have to do with technology. I feel like that's like a, like, I feel like it's a cliche to like complain about technology. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's hard and because, yeah, it's, like, we're in such a technological age. Like, it's hard not to look at it and be like, that's totally a factor, yeah. you know? And you know what I was thinking about that's really interesting about this moment right now is that we, um, you know, 10 years ago, social media was, like, a new, mysterious, nobody really knew what it was yet. Yeah. And now, social media is our only form of social interaction. It has become the single way that we connect with people. And that's just bizarre that it's like literally our only outlet for that kind of thing now, our only way to connect with our friends. We're already anxious and then in our quest to find community um, and reach out to people and not feel alone, we connect ourselves to social media and these social um, platforms. 
um, which arguably just make us feel more alone. Um, it feels impossible not to try to access it at all times of the day. Well, the idea of us being anxious, and by us I mean everybody, <laughs> especially in America, um, being anxious is kind of the starting point of this book. It's what this book is really trying to address. And what I found in this book was really just a lot of like very simple, like basic truths, um, things that in my head I know to be to be a fact. Mm-hmm. But I think what was so cool about this book is it, it has so many things in it that I think we just need to be reminded of on a regular basis. It, it had a lot of things in it that I think we tend to forget. Like it's definitely a book that I would want to reread. Um, because we forget that we need to focus on God. We forget that that's the place where we're going to, we need to go to get filled up. Um, so what were some of the biggest takeaways for you from this book? The first thing that really, um, even the first time that I read it, uh, the thing that stuck out to me was, um, perceived control creates calm. It was talking Mm. about how, um, fighter pilots often had a higher mortality rate than those who were on the ground. Um, but they felt more of a sense of calm. And I thought that was really yeah. interesting because it's even though you have a higher chance of um, perishing, because mm-hmm. you are the one in control, supposedly, because you have your hands on the, um, what is it? What is that thing even called? Who even knows? Wheel? We'll just say wheel. Yeah. It's probably a wheel in there somewhere. You have your hands on the wheel, the plane <laughs> wheel. Um, because you have your hands on the controls, you yeah. feel a perceived sense of calm. And I just think that is incredible because we are never in control, ever. And so um, these things that make us feel like we're in control, um, they only last so long, but that's why we're so addicted to them. It blows my Mm. mind, honestly, when I think of it. Like it says, anxiety increases as perceived control diminishes. And so as we realize that we're putting our faith and our hope in these things that will never last, it increases our anxiety. So not only are we quick to jump at those things that will provide us an immediate sense of relief um, when that thing fails to fulfill us, fails to create real calm in our lives, it just, again, creates this cycle where our anxiety is increased um, and we're we're forced to search for more of that perceived control. Um, our country feels, I shouldn't even say our country, just the world today feels very controlled, like at all times. Like, and, and in many ways it is, everything is controlled. Our freeways are, you know, our, our, you know, I even think of like signals, like, you know, tra- like traffic signals, Yeah. you know, uh, our banks, our, our financial system, our, education system, our work system, the number of hours that we work, like, like we are surrounded by systems and methods and institutions that make us feel this deep, deep sense of control. Even like, I think just driving on the freeway is a really great example of, a, of, of feeling in control, but you know, you're a couple seconds away from a, you know, deadly crash at all times. And that's mm-hmm. not a fun thing to think about. Um, but yeah. that's, that's what you're facing every time that you, that you get on the road. Right. Um, but yeah, that perceived control. And, and so anytime we, we feel like we lose control, and I would say that we are in a time right now where a lot of people probably feel like they are not in control of their lives. Um, but realizing that you never actually were, I think, is kind of a, a place to start in terms of feeling freedom from anxiety. Um, I think 
when you start to feel this anxiety over what anxiety comes for all sorts of reasons and you can't really pinpoint it for a specific person but I think taking a moment to step back and be like what is the absolute worst thing that can happen in this situation because if I'm not in control let me take this thought to its end and see um, what actually is the worst possible scenario and can yeah. God handle that can God rescue me from that um yeah. Like find your like I place myself in a situation where I am in not not physically <laughs> I will mentally follow my thought to its end um, and think of the situation in terms of how can I be least in control what is the ending of this scenario where I just I am just at my wits end I have no control over what is about to happen or what yeah. has happened and then once I see it and it's most raw its scariest form i'm able to bring it to the lord and be like here this is like the worst possible scenario and i trust that you can handle it so recognizing i'm not in control in this moment i never was and i never will be um but almost placing yourself mentally in this is the worst case scenario and I'm going to trust that the Lord can handle it. The idea that God is powerful and that God is in control is, is is what I'm talking about, about those basic truths that are like so clearly stated in the Bible and we so know as a fact as Christians, Yeah. but we it just doesn't sink in. I don't know. And I think really, I feel like almost my life as a Christian has been about making those kinds of truths sink in because mm-hmm. I've been hearing those and I'm sure you have too. I've been hearing those since I was a child. Right. Like those, those simple God is love kinds of truths are deeply ingrained in my brain um but really letting them like permeate. letting myself feel them yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. is is hard and it, and it, honestly as humans we are just so forgetful like we just forget these things um and so i think a lot of what this book was about was um ways to remind yourself yeah of the goodness of god reminding yourself of his promises yeah absolutely um, the things he's done i think that's so true i think that it, it's funny because this book is such an easy read because yeah. it is so obvious. You read it and you're like, <laughs> right. you're your like, mind yeah. is blown for whatever yeah. reason because you, like you said, we're forgetful. But you're reading it and you're like, I'm I'm being mind blown right now by the most basic truth in the world. And I yeah. like, I don't know how I could be so forgetful, but it, it just, even reading it, um, the first time I read it a year ago or two years ago, I found myself with with new tools to approach the Lord and and view him um, as he actually is. I really liked the idea of designing your prayers around God's promises. That was one of my Mm. favorite takeaways from the book, something that was very new for me and that I hadn't thought about yet. Um, don't, Don't go praying for something that God hasn't actually promised you. Like that's, that's crazy. You know, the, the book talked about looking for God's promises in the Bible. What has he promised to do for us? Um, and design your prayers around those things. Isaiah 62, six says, put the Lord in remembrance of his promises. And I love that. And what's, what's, what's funny about that is when you do that, when you remind God of his promises, what you're really doing is you're reminding yourself of his promises. Right. Cause God, God knows God remembers. You're like, remember um, God. He's like, <laughs> you a brain like yeah, yeah, of yeah. course I remember yeah do you want to do another one yes I um I it took me forever to find this story because I remembered it the first time I read it um and I still think about it but um 
Horatio Spafford was a prosperous lawyer and Presbyterian church elder. In 1871, he and his wife, Anna, suffered tragic losses in the Chicago Fire. In November of 1873, Anna and their children set sail for Europe with a group of friends. Horatio stayed home to take care of some business, and on December 2nd, he received a telegram from his wife that began, Saved alone, what shall I do? He soon learned that the ship had collided with a British vessel that had sunk and their four daughters drowned and Anna alone survived. While sailing um, to bring Anna home, he wrote the lyrics um, to It Is Well With My Soul. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, There is a, a big highlighted quote in the book that says, You might question the purpose behind this thread or that, but be assured God has a pattern. He has a plan. He is not finished But when he is, the lace will be beautiful. So obviously, when you read that story, you're like, that is horrendous. Like Mm -hmm. his four, both of their four daughters perished in the shipwreck. Um, And I think that is a very extreme, but also, you know, realistic example of you might question the purpose behind this thread or that, but be assured that God has a pattern. And so... Um, I think recognizing like we will never, ever understand, not only are we not in control, but we'll never understand why terrible things happen, why this thread exists in the pattern of my life. But knowing that at the end of the day, God is the one who is completely zoomed back. You know, we're stuck on this one thread and God has the full picture. He can see the entire pattern Um, and the importance of this thread. And so I think that no matter what we're going through, regardless of our understanding or our lack thereof, the God of the universe is not finished. But when he is, the lace will be beautiful. That's good. There's a couple people in my life right now who are dealing with some really heavy stuff um, in their families. um, And they're all people who are well aware because they are pe- they are Christians, they are people of faith, um, and have been for a long time. They are well aware that God is in control, and that God will keep His promises, and that He will work everything together for good. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I really liked what you said about those about the threads, um, or I guess it was I know it wasn't you, but what was said about about yeah, the I was going to say that was Max, <laughs> it was not me. <laughs> but it's like, what do you do when you already feel like you know that? Do you know what I mean when when You're already aware of that. Well, okay. My thought on that, um, for myself, and I think it's a little bit harder when you are trying to comfort somebody because it almost feels like you are patronizing them with the truth, even though Mm. that's not what, obviously not what you or anyone, yeah, it's not the person's heart behind it is to patronize you with the truth or to condescend you. Um, I hope that's not their heart, but, um, it can feel that way. And I think that the most important thing that you can remind someone in that moment is you don't have to feel good about the fact that God is in control. You don't have to, it doesn't Mm. have to feel like everything is okay now. Um, If it does, that's awesome. That's wonderful. If you have this complete peace from the Lord in the midst of this horrible tragedy that everything is going to work out for his good and his glory if that brings you peace which i hope that it does and you you feel no sense of anguish wonderful but if you're still in the thick of it and you know that god is in control you believe that he is in control and 
Maybe you feel peace, but you still feel this sense of anguish and pain and turmoil. That's okay. That's normal. That's what we see in the Psalms. David, when he wrote the Psalms, he would switch back and forth. I was like, this guy needs to pick a mood because (laughs) he's rejoicing and then he's terrified. He's praising and he's he's crying, you know, like he's crying out to the Lord. And so I think that um, recognizing it's okay that even though I believe that God is in control and I still feel anguish, I still feel the discomfort that that's okay because it's choosing to worship and choosing to praise God in the midst of that discomfort. Um, Not just when we feel like I'm at peace, everything is okay, I can praise the Lord. It's I'm at peace knowing that the Lord is in control, but I still feel deep, deep pain. Um, Turning to Him in worship is the only thing that we can do. And that's why I love what, um, what Horatio Spafford had wrote in these lyrics. It is well with my soul. Mm. Who says that? When you lose all of your children in a shipwreck, yeah. he turns to the Lord with praise. And so I think that encouraging the people around us, that our hearts our hearts were meant to praise and to um, turn to the only thing that we can in that moment, which is the Lord with praise, even when we don't feel like it, it's really the only thing you can do. Because what we were designed for. Yeah. It's interesting that he said it is well with my soul. He, he didn't say it is well with my heart. Yeah. It is well with my mind. It is well with um, my emotions. Yeah. yeah. It's like, nope, it's yeah. not true at all. Exactly. Um, I really liked the quote, uh, wear your hope, not your hurt. Mm. Um, there is a scene. This is a this is something I want to use as a sermon analogy at some point. But there's a scene. Have you seen The Dark Knight Rises? Is it different than Dark the Knight Dark Knight? Dark Knight is the Knight? Joker one. Oh. Yeah, Dark Knight is Joker. Rises is the one after it. Is Rises the one where the guy has half a burned face? Or is that all the same movie? No, that's same movie. Why would you have two villains in the same movie? I know, right? Okay, anyways. Um, <laughs> anyways, in Dark Knight Rises, there's a scene where... This might be more... This might be too much to explain. I might end up cutting this out. That's okay. Um, there's a scene in Dark Knight Rises where uh, Bruce Wayne, Batman, uh, is basically been thrown into this... Um, this uh, giant well. Uh, calling it a well is kind of wrong, but it's this big circular. Um, uh... I have seen it. It's with okay. Bane. It's with Bane, <laughs> yes, right? With Bane. Yes. Yeah. Okay. He's been thrown basically into a pit. We'll just call it a pit. And um, there's these. They have a, a rope um, that they allow the guys to try to climb their way out, but no one is ever able to make it. And inevitably, there's this one last jump they have to make, um, and and they nobody ever can. Um, and so he, he, you know, he has this rope around him and he's, he's climbing and he's climbing and he's climbing, um, and he makes the jump and he falls. And I was watching that movie, uh, a couple of years ago and I was just thinking about how it was so much, okay, just answer this question, which was easier for him to climb or to fall, which was easier. Yeah. I feel like I feel like there's some philosophical meaning behind this, and so I'm trying to like have the right answer. But no, don't think too hard about it. Which which was easier? Which is easier to fall or to climb? I would say to climb. Easier. I guess. Which, it's... Let me change the question. Okay. This is great. We're uh, workshopping a sermon analogy here. Okay. Um, which is more physically exerting, to climb or to fall? 
To climb. To climb. Which is so which is easier to fall or to climb. Okay, so it's it's easier to fall. It is physically easier to fall. Easier it to is fall. physically easier to For fall. For me, it's mentally to easier to climb because I'm like, heck yeah, let's do this. Let's get That's out of this so pit, funny. you know? Yeah, absolutely. And ideally that would be the case, but I think for a lot of people it is much easier to fall into depression, to fall into anxiety, to right. fall into being a victim. It is a lot harder to pick yourself up, to praise God, to pray, um, to read your Bible, to to sing, to dance, like whatever it is for you. Right. It is a lot harder to do that, but that's what actually gets you where you want to go. I love that. And so whether or not this, the analogy works, I, I think the truth is there. No, um, I think that totally works. I absolutely think because... Um, well, you no, know, that's so good, Joey. I really like that. Thank you. Um, did you have any other takeaways from the book before we wrap up? So the author uses the analogy of a child twisting their ankle, um, and they're concerned that they're not going to be able to make it to this event that they want to go to. And, um, they're crying to their father about it. Um, and the father says, you're going to be fine. And the child does not believe him because they don't know who their father is. So we find out that he is this incredible orthopedic surgeon. And because the child learns that their father is completely capable, knows exactly what they're talking about, um, when he says, you will be fine, because they know almost the authority and the power that he holds because of Mm -hmm. his knowledge, because of his, um, his capacity to handle much more intense situations than a sprained ankle. Um, They come to trust the father. And so um, one of the quotes that it says is, our anxiety decreases as our knowledge of the father increases. And so when we understand who he is, that most of our problems are just, as the author says, um, sprained ankles to him. You know, he's the best orthopedic surgeon um, there is, and we have a sprained ankle and we're concerned we're never going to recover. Um, and the author says that I think that most of our issues God sees as sprained ankles. Um, and I just thought that it was a really, um, sweet analogy. Yeah. Not in that they're minor or insignificant, but just that he knows exactly how to deal with them and he knows exactly, you know, the extent of them and he understands them in a way that, that the, the child can. That's really yeah. great. Yeah, that. absolutely. Well, this was a really great book. Um, I'm really excited about this as part of kind of the regular routine of what we do here on this podcast. Um, next week, we've got Brian and Leslie Glassford coming on. That's going to be a really great conversation. Um, they are two very important people in my life. So thanks for hanging out with us, and we'll see you next time on Faith Backstage. Faith Backstage.